Welcome back to Breakthrough, Waking Up to the Real You. I am your host, Alejandra Vivanco. Thank you for joining me today. Remember to subscribe and share this podcast. We are coming out with new episodes every Monday. And feel free to go back in time and listen to every single episode that I have put out since the beginning of this podcast. If also you would like to follow me on Instagram for more content, the Instagram is at alevivanco29. So we are, well, I am doing the book Yesterday I Cried by Yen Lavenzant. If you want to get the book, I got it through Amazon. I think it's still available. That's the only book that I've read uh, of her, so... If you have any other suggestions of, of, of books, especially Yanla's, that you have read and you think that it it's they're they're interesting, or there 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 is a narrative that you would like to share that they, she talks about anything and everything, please let me know. And um, if you are interested in other books, I have done episodes on the subtle art of not giving a fuck. The Choice by Dr. Eager. I have done The Power of Now and A New Earth by Eckhart Tolle. So last week, we were talking about Rhonda, who is a Yanla. Rhonda's experience with her father. So the one episode was about her mom. Her, sorry, her grandma. Her mom passed away when she was very young. And the other episode was about her father, and her father's wife, Nat, who is Lynette, who is the only person that she has had thus far, Rhonda, a positive experience with, that she feels that she is kind of like a safe person. It's a safe place to be around her. And unfortunately, because of grandma's rage and her father, um, Rhonda's father, doing things on the streets. She had to be left at with her brother at Aunt Nadine's house, who is not related to Rhonda. She's not related to Nat. It's just Nat's friend. When Nat and uh, Rhonda's father had to split, and Nat didn't have enough money to take care of her husband's children. So she ended up moving to with her sister to a one-bedroom apartment, and she couldn't take the kids with her. So Rhonda and Ray are living with Aunt Nadine's, Aunt Nadine's and she is not a, like a, a friendly person. She's not a loving woman. And... And the next, I'm, I'm going to touch on a couple of episodes, uh, a couple chapters here, but the relationship that she has with Nadine is not a positive one like she did with Nat, but it's not a violent one like um, she had with her grandmother. So it's kind of like in the middle, like it's neither or, because Rhonda is used to being neglected and abused so this was kind of like a meh situation but she's growing up and she's losing her hair and she's being bullied at school and 
she tells a story about how the relationship with her brother was never a close one. Even though he was grandma's favorite, Ray was um, was always against his father. And Rhonda loved her father regardless of what he did or didn't do. And so they were always bumping heads constantly about that. Um, and probably it was one of the ways that Ray was dealing with the pain of not having a family, her mother dying, his mother dying, and Rhonda believed that Ned was their mother, but obviously she wasn't. And so there is a lot of unhealthy connections. I think that from my experience, when I was in a place as in the, the house of hell, as I call it, growing up, the one person that I knew I could lean on and ask for help was my brother. And then at some point that shifted, you know, because he he is four years older than me. And so there were times when my mom and my dad would fight and it would get physical. And then I would have to call my brother to come home because I was scared. So it was kind of like a responsibility that I, I I gave my brother unknowingly because there was nobody else that I, I felt I could turn to at the time. And it's a scary place to be in when you are in, you know, when you are a, a minor and you have to deal with your father and mother screaming, yelling. Everybody in the building can hear them. And then it gets physical and violent. So there's no way to go. And it never in my mind, it's, which is very interesting, I never, I, th I never thought that one possibility was to just go to the door and get out. That's why I call, I call it hell. It's a place you cannot escape, especially when you're young. There's not, there, that's not really a possibility. Like, where would I go? Who would I talk to? And how could I, you know, get to, I don't know, a, 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 an uncle's, an aunt's house? You know, where, what, what, what would that, that look like? So you kind of, that's what I did basically was to find refuge in the corner of my room. And that's when I started to lock the doors. And I didn't like people coming in the room. And my door was always locked. Nobody was allowed. And as I grew older, because of the impact of the violence that I, I was exposed to, I just didn't want to deal with anybody. And so you can ask my family. My door was always locked. And at some point, nobody was welcomed. And if my mom was doing laundry or she needed something from my room because she kept some of the sheets, you know, the, the, the bedroom sheets of her bed or my brother's bed and my room, then she would have to knock and kind of ask for permission. So that was kind of nice. And then at some point I stopped leaning on my brother because, you know, he's older, he's doing his own thing. And I'm finding my way, you know, leaning on other people, very toxic people, but leaning on them nevertheless. And I can remember a shift between our relationship when I, when it was public that I lost my virginity and my brother was, I had to leave my house basically, because he was so violent, not towards me per se, like he never touched me, but I remember him trying to um, break my door 
because of that information. Like somehow, again, there's this whole thing about my body belonging to everybody and being held to everyone, you know, up to everyone's standards are, are just looking at me and everybody's judging me constantly like I couldn't be. It's just very frustrating sometimes to think about that, that I was as a younger person in that position. Um, and it wasn't like I was 12 when I lost my virginity. I was 17. But I didn't see that en energy when, you know, they found out that I was raped. And they did, I don't think they know to say that I was molested in the bus coming from school when I was, I think, 14. So... There are many things that, you know, when you think about it, it's like, it's exhausting. <laughs> and and let me say this, healing is exhausting emotionally, mentally, physically. When you really have a good cry, when you really just leave it all out on the table, it's really exhausting. Like your energy is drained. You it's like you have done 20 Tabatas, two hours of hit cardio, you have lifted weights for five days, and it's just exhausting. But it's a, it's good though. It's it it you come out on the other side tired, but it's like a weight weight has been lifted off your shoulders. And I am recording this the same day that I recorded last week's episode, and I'm still exhausted from all the crying because it's tough. Not only to read her story, Yanla's story, but it's also tough to remember a lot of things that sometimes you believe that you have gone through the story and, you know, it's over, but then you remember certain things and you're like, oh my God, yes, this happened. Or, oh my God, I remember when. So that's where I am. That's why I'm, I'm still low energy. And um, it's, it's something that I encourage you to do, but it's also something that you have to be aware that it's going to take some time for you to process a lot of unprocessed emotions, thoughts, feelings, opinions, judgments, and all that. So let, let's, let's get to the book. Yanla says, though most of the adults in Rhonda's life had betrayed her in one way or another, Ray was the first person to betray her pub publicly. The betrayal came in the form of a lie when Rhonda was five years old. And when it comes to betrayal, obviously you will remember. And I don't think we, we know how to say, oh, it's a, it's a betrayal or I feel betrayed when we are younger. But definitely it feels like it's an odd feeling. It's like... You cannot believe it has happened. And if you feel sad, but as a young person, especially as a five-year-old, you don't say, oh, you betrayed me. So she talks about um, him basically accusing her of something she didn't, knew, she didn't do to her grandma. And everybody was in the kitchen and grandma just got violent with her. And so the relationship between Ray and Rhonda was never what Rhonda really wanted because, again, it, when you are in a place of survival and you see that you have, you know, grandma preferred Ray and treated him better while Rhonda was treated like trash, there's a hierarchy that you kind of get used to. 
and you you see that you know if grandma is treating Rhonda that way then I am allowed to do that as well because there must be something wrong with her she's a sinner and all that stuff that we talked about so so it makes you think you know the people that have betrayed you in your life when you were young and I remember that when I used to study French um, I failed for the first time I failed one one exam so I had to retake the whole the whole class again and um, I remember I told my dad and I told him not to tell anyone and he betrayed me and he told my grandma and I was um, I was on the stairs you know he had nothing to say to her like it was a quiet I think it was a Sunday it was quiet they were both sitting down and he was just trying to strike up a conversation with her and he used me as a way to just bond with her and I never forgot that it's forgiven but he betrayed me when I trusted him because even though he was a threat in my home he was never a threat directly to me per se the constant threat to me was my mother. And when he came home, he was a threat to my mother. And he was violent, but he wasn't violent towards me. If you grew up in a violent home, you can understand where I'm coming from. So in my wanting to trust my dad, he fucking betrayed me. <laughs> so... Let's see here. Uh, Ianla writes, lessons in life come in a variety of ways. Children are so observant, sensitive, and impressionable that their most powerful lessons come from what they see and hear others do around them and what others do to them. They learn early in their lives that adults place value on perceived beauty. Children who are not valued and protected feel that they are not beautiful or worthy of protection. And the same thing happened to me between me and my brother. At some point, my mom decided that he was like the golden child. He was, uh, he, he would treat him. You, I could feel the difference between how he, she treated my brother and how she treated me. And it hurt. It hurt a lot. And I knew that my mom hated me. I, I, I just knew it. that was my experience. And there was nothing I could do because I was not able to lose the weight she wanted me to lose. And I was ugly and I was, I was basically the bottom of the barrel of trash. And my mom, my mom made it known to me every fucking day of my life. And I could see the difference between her treating, treating my brother like a human and don't, don't get me wrong, when my brother was younger, he suffered even more physically the wrath of my mother. But for some reason, when my, my, my brother became a man, all of a sudden things shifted. But to me, she was still the same bitch. And I couldn't understand that. And that's when I think the, the space between my brother and me grew wider because I saw him as, oh... So you are the favorite one, and I'm not. And of course, if, if I talk to my mother and my brother, they would not remember this or they would find it weird. But I, I saw what I saw, and I stand on, on those statements. 
So the problem with having those types of relationships is that you, when you are on survival mode, you try to find someone that you can trust. You have to survive. And when the person that you were trusting the most or you, you, you were emotionally dependent on isn't showing up anymore, then that's a betrayal as well, you know. And so it reinforces the idea that you're on your own and reinforces the idea that you cannot ask for help and you have to do everything alone and you have to get used to that feeling of being lonely and the idea of being alone because it's you against everybody else. So the way that Rhonda coped with the space between her and her brother, Nat being gone, and her father being out of the picture and still trying to obviously deal with the trauma of her grandma. And this is not something that she's telling herself at the time. It's just something that is happening to her. She says that um, she would sneak sandwiches into her room and eat them all alone. The food helped to fill the hole in her heart left by her big brother. So that's what happens when people start gaining weight. It's not about the food. It's about what's happening in them. What's going on? Why am I eating? Why, why do I like to eat so much? And it goes beyond the society that, that, that has, this society that has created that food equals entertainment and we're supposed to eat constantly or drink alcohol and smoke. Never nobody asked me once when I was younger, why did I eat so much? Like what was really going on? Not that I would have, not that I would have answered per se, but at least somebody would make me feel like it mattered why I was doing what I was doing. Because sugar made me feel good. Food was company. Food was a safe place for me to be around. And so I gained a lot of weight and I was always fat and it was going, you know, it's like shooting myself in the foot because I want to have a relationship with my mother and I can't because the only thing that makes me happy and feel makes me feel comfortable and makes me feel like I have some company is making our relationship even worse because she can't handle the fact that she has a fat daughter. Her fat daughter is the worst thing in the world to her, and it's a punishment to her for some reason. So we keep going. Ray was distant and aloof and at times oblivious to everyone and everything in his life that should have been important to him. He confirmed the lesson Rhonda was taught by her father. Men are emotionally and often physically unavailable. Ray, through his asthma attacks, taught Rhonda that you must put other people's interests ahead of your own. When he got older and his asthma attacks began to subside, he taught her how to love people despite their mistreatment of you. The one thing Rhonda wanted was to have a normal, loving relationship with her brother. But Ray taught her that it is painful at best and impossible under most circumstances to have what you want. Rhonda learned that people close to you could betray you and they didn't care what happened to you. So again, it's just the way that we translate 
how our relationships have developed over time. And everything that we're talking about thus far informs how Rhonda is going to go out into the world and what she's going to allow in her life. It's not obviously Ray's fault because a brother is not responsible for your emotions and all that. But when you are very young, you learn by, you know, by just watching people do. And we never tell ourselves. Rhonda at 10 years old is not telling herself, oh, what you're telling me is blah, 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 that I should expect men to be unavailable. I should expect people to mistreat me. I should expect to uh, put your needs above mine. And, you know, that's love. She's not telling herself that, but she is living it. So she goes out and looks for it. So, oh boy. So we get to the point in the story. Remember, these are two, two chapters in one that I'm, that I'm doing. Um, we get to the point of the story where Iyanla, in present time, when, when, as she's telling the story and she's remembering her childhood, is um, still in the in that bathroom, still in that jacuzzi, and she's remember every she's remembering everything from that time. You know uh, what happened and at um, Aunt Nadine's house. So right now she's just walking herself through sitting in the uncomfortable. What I'm about to read. And that's something that we, we all need to do at some point when we, when we get that feeling of trying to escape the inevitable. She writes, The chill of the bathroom floor was coming right up through the towels and penetrating my spine. How many times? How many times do I have to live through that? I, I'm going to talk about what she means. As many times as necessary until it no longer makes you sick to your stomach. I was freezing. Get in the tub. Get back in the tub and wash this crap away. Naked, I crawled over to the tub. The bathroom seemed to be filled with the stench of stale liquor on an old man's breath. I turned on the hot water, full blast. Reaching for the lavender oil, I fought the urge to vomit. Just breathe. I could feel Rhonda's eyes piercing my heart. I could feel her pain in the pit of my stomach. She was waiting to see what I was going to do. Rhonda wanted to know if someone, anyone, was going to help her, to save her, to protect her. I am not a victim. I am not his victim. Not today, not ever again. And the words didn't help. So right now we are after the fact, which is at um, Aunt Nadine's house, her husband, who was a drunk, rapes Rhonda. And remembering every single detail. So when rape, molestation, any type of sexual assault or abuse happens when you're a child, you block it. It's just a way to survive. It's, it's just what it is. And at those times, you just, if you have learned that you have to stay quiet and in silence and you, your voice doesn't matter and um, you shouldn't say this, you shouldn't say that, you learn to stay quiet and to just swallow the feelings and swallow the pain. 
and you feel or you think that's over. Oh, no, no, no. Whatever you haven't dealt with that happened in the past, anything that happened to you in the past that hurt you, you, you will have to carry that until you deal with it. There is no way around it. There is only through it. And so Iyanla tells the story, which, again, I'm not going to say it because it's on the book. Get the book. But she sits down and she remembers detail by detail. And as a grown woman, to remember what happened to you as a child and for no one to believe you and for no one to protect you and for you to tell the story and for no one to care, it breaks your heart. And I'm not talking about my boyfriend left me and my heart is broken. No, no, no. I'm talking about shattering your heart. I'm talking about acid coming down your whole body. We cannot expect children or young women to know, or even women for this matter, the, uh, to have the language to communicate this type of pain and trauma. But Uncle Leroy, as she calls him in the book, was a drunk who took advantage of her when Aunt Nadine was playing with her friends. So she was alone in the basement with him, and Ray was in his room, and because she didn't have a good relationship with Ray, he didn't do anything, he didn't help her when she came out and, um, you know, of the situation and knocked on his door. And when she told Nadine, there was nothing. Like, she, she says that there was an expectation of Uncle Leroy leaving or, you know, like, finding a way for, for her to feel that her experience was validated. There wasn't. She says that there was only silence. And as a young woman or as a child... You cannot process this type of information in a way that you can communicate it clearly, concise, and at the same time process what happened. There's no way. You don't have the tools, especially up until this point, what we know of Rhonda. She doesn't have any tools. She's just trying to survive. And so, unfortunately, the, the adults around her either take advantage of her or mistreat her or simply push her to the side. So she says, if people don't ask how you feel, what you think, what you want or what you know, there is no way they can know who you are. When people don't know who you are, they, they mistakenly believe they can do anything they want to you. And they will do it if they don't know. When that happens, it's up to you to take a stand for yourself. It is up to you to let them know what you need. It is up to you to tell them what you think. It is up to you to let them know that you don't want do, you don't know what they think of they, what they think you know. At all times under all circumstances, every individual must shoulder full responsibility for telling other people exactly how they feel, what they need, what they know, and who they are. If, however, you are an 11-year-old child, chances are you haven't learned how to do that yet. If you haven't, and the people around you don't realize it, you are in grave danger of being misunderstood. 
Rhonda was learning the dangers of being misunderstood. So I didn't grow up with people who had emotional intelligence or they even had developed a language to support their kids emotionally. I didn't grow up with people who gave a damn other than how things looked and constant judgment. When you're around people that are constantly judging you and making you think and feel that you are a problem, like Rhonda, in my case, when I got molested on a bus or when I got raped by my, my, my then, what, who became my boyfriend, because at the time I didn't know, even know what raped meant, you don't say anything because you're going to get criticized, judged. And in my case specifically, I thought I was going to get my mom was going to punch me, kick me or whatever because she was going to punish me because something happened to me. I, I was always responsible for anything that happened to me. If I got mugged, it was my, it was my fault. If somebody uh, pulled a gun out on the streets, it was my fault. Everything that happened outside of my control was my fault, and there was never compassion shown. So just like Rhonda, there's no way for, for you to feel comfortable enough to share your story. It's just not possible to feel comfortable, to feel like you're in a safe space. Even in my country, sometimes um, when women go to the police station, men try to, the, the, the men there try to make it seem like it was your fault. What were you wearing? What were you doing? Men hold no responsibility in a society like the one I grew up in, unfortunately. And up until this day, I firmly believe that my first boyfriend, who was my rapist, my first rapist, because yeah, I had a second encounter with another person, same thing. I do believe he doesn't believe he did that because he didn't know. So if we're not responsible for what we're teaching our kids, then what are we doing here? Again, the importance of you making those decisions, of having those kids, you have to make sure that they know exactly at all times that they need to be aware of what's happening. And if they are not, you know, uh, kids that talk, you need to be very aware of their behavior, what's happening. And monsters like these, like Uncle Leroy, is not somebody nobody knew. It was Aunt Nadine's husband living in that same house. So we need to stop looking outside of our homes, trying to find predators or monsters. They are inside. The, the call is coming from inside the house. And we need to call things for what they are instead of silencing or looking away or thinking no maybe it's maybe it is maybe it isn't that is one of the worst things that people can do is to turn a blind eye to the things that are happening and that's one of the things that I have experienced in my life how adults adults turn a blind a blind eye of 
the abuse I was going through, my brother was going through, and nobody gave a shit. They didn't know what was happening, or some of them did know what was happening, but I don't think they knew the extent of it, or it was at some point just normalized, because everybody had been abused. So, let me end with um, the last passage of the book, but... I just want to read out loud what the name of the chapters are. So if you're interested and you want to go there and find some stuff. So chapter five, which is uh, Ray and Rhonda's relationship, what's uh, um, the name is, what's, what's the lesson when you are poor, ugly, and feeling bad? And then the chapter six, which is the chapter where she talks about uh, Uncle Leroy raping her. It's what's the lesson when you are raped as a child? And what I like about Iyanla is that she doesn't hold back. She calls it like it is. You know, why edit ourselves? At some point, you just have to call it the way you see it. So what I'm about to read to you is after she tells Aunt Nadine's, uh, Aunt Nadine's what happened she goes to the basement and Uncle Leroy is still drunk. And um, she calls Rhonda downstairs and tells her, tell me what you told me that he did to you. And, you know, Rhonda said, he hurt me, you know, and she was still bleeding from the, 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 the rape. And, um, of course, he denied it. And then Nadine just told her to go go to bed. And then she says, there was silence where there should have been yelling. There was silence where there should have been the sound of the front door slamming shut. There was silence where the sound of Uncle Leroy's Lincoln driving off forever should have been. There was silence where there should have been comforting, uh, comforting words and healing hands. There was silence where there should have been an apology and a promise. And there was silence where there should have been an acknowledgement of the wrong and a declaration of the truth. So far, if you can see the pattern, what Rhonda is learning is that nobody cares. And nobody's coming for her to save and protect her ever. It doesn't matter what home she's in, unless Net is there, She's always going to be on her own and she has to bear the pain on her own. And it's just supporting the idea that her grandma gave her that she's a sinner, she's gonna go to hell and there's something wrong with her. Iyanla continues, silence teaches you many things. It teaches you how to listen and how to hear. It teaches you how to feel and how to translate into words what you're feeling. When you can't translate what you're feeling, silence allows you to go deeper into yourself and find the peace that sur surpasses understanding, a peace that enables you to move forward even when you don't understand. Most of the time, silence is a good thing, but there, there are those times and circumstances when silence will kill you. A killing silence can destroy your identity and your spirit. It can kill your heart and your soul. When silence is used as a means of avoiding something you know you must deal with, it will murder you, your sense of worth. 
when when you use silence to hide the truth, to avoid the truth, or to color the truth, it is the same as saying that the truth doesn't matter. It demonstrates your belief that people who tell the truth don't matter, but they do. We need to get rid of silence culture. And I know that we have been taught that if you talk too much or you speak up too much, all of a sudden you're a problem. You know, you're a nuisance. You shouldn't. There's a lot of you shouldn't, wouldn't, you couldn't. And that's why people like me, when they come out of that and begin to find their voice, it's it feels very good and very liberating to say, fuck you. Enough of that. I'm going to say whatever the fuck I want to say. And there's a lot of fucks and shits involved. Because you've been silenced for so long. It doesn't mean that you didn't think about it. It doesn't mean that you didn't hold the opinion of. Or it doesn't mean that you didn't feel it. It means that you never got to express it. Because you didn't know you were allowed to. Or you didn't even know how to express it. But you knew that something was off. doesn't mean that I'm going to go and call every call call um, my family members out by one by one. I don't have energy for that. I don't care. Not my life, not my problem. I'm dealing with my own pain. But what I can say is that if I'm going to tell it like it is, I'm going to have to tell it like it is, whether you like it or not. Because I'm not going to edit myself so that you're comfortable. I'm not going to carry your discomfort. I'm going to do what I have to do to heal. You deal with that. And I think that's powerful for people who have been silenced for so long. And the first time, the first times that those uh, acts of love or of self-love, which are, you know, you communicate how you feel and calling people out, they come out wonky. They come out very emotional it, there's a lot of hurt involved. So it takes some time for you to get to a point where you can call it the way you see it, not regret saying it because you're telling the truth, your truth, which is the most important truth. You have to speak your truth. That's what Iyanla says. State the facts, speak the truth. Even if that means that some people are going to be uncomfortable around you. Well, fuck it, then leave. Nobody should be kept around if that means that I'm going to have to deny a part of myself. I won't. And there are time and places where you get to state the facts, speak your truth. And sometimes it comes out as constant conflict because we're tired. We're tired of having to be silent. And I encourage you to stop being so silent. Don't go and look for fights. Just really look at yourself in the mirror and tell the truth. And if how Iyanla puts it helps you, amazing. It, she helped me. That's why I am doing this book so passionately. If how I am stating it helps you even better. If none of us work... 
and you want to look for that language to express yourself even better. It's about you having these conversations, whether that's with a friend or with yourself, with a partner. It's about giving sound to the feeling, giving sound to those thoughts and calling things for what they are without attaching your truth to hurting someone or to making feeling someone bad. It doesn't automatically make people bad people. I just want people to begin to validate their their experience because it's killing us. Not validating how we feel, think, and what happened is killing us slowly. And at some point, you have to say enough is enough. Because it's not for me. I'm doing the work. It's for you. And if you happen to have children or want to have children or want to have a a, a family, want to have a husband or a wife, and you want to bring people into your life, it's also for them. Because they need you 100% whole and present, complete, healed, or on a journey of healing, aware, awake. What are you bringing into the table if you cannot tell yourself the truth? How can I trust you if you cannot tell the truth? Don't people please tell me the truth. What is the truth? And it has to come out somehow. Anger, sadness, frustration, whatever that is. And then you get to, you get to clean it up little by little because you get to feel the feeling, go through it, and then that's the draft one. Draft two, it comes out again and again and again and again until... You remember it, and there's inner peace. And my cat is crying. Speaking of peace, they keep me on my toes. So that's it for today. I hope this really helped you. If you find this information valuable or you think of someone that may need to hear these words or read the book, whatever that is, please make sure to Share the podcast, share the books, you know, read it with someone. Somebody can get a book, then somebody reads it and then just gives it to someone else. You know, a little book club going thing going, whatever helps. And um, that's it for today. Today I have done, I have recorded three episodes and I am exhausted. Not because I am talking, it's just because I am emotionally exhausted and this is where I get to retreat a little bit. It's Right now it's 7.46 at night and um, I get to just go to bed and just relax because I, I am doing the work every day. Even when I'm not working on a book, I'm doing the work. And if you make mistakes along the way and you feel like you are, you know, you, you thought you had, you had uh, done a breakthrough, but then you... You go back to your old ways or habits. It's okay. It's not something that it's not linear. It it comes goes. Accept everything for the, for what is and work with what you have. That's I think the most important thing. And as you work through the challenges and life situations and all the good stuff that helps you grow, 
the most important thing is that you have to be on your team and on your side and love yourself no matter what. That's how we begin to, you know, break the cycle and stop perpetuating that we're not lovable or we shouldn't love ourselves until and we condition the love we should have for ourselves. So be gentle. Be the adult you needed the most when you were younger. Become aware of that. Then something might click in you. That's it for today. And with that, I say till next time. Bye.